Alright, alright. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I will be your host for the show. Uh, man, that card yesterday. Going to be reviewing that, previewing the last pay-per-view of the year, UFC 256. It'll be coming your way this coming Saturday. And uh, some news, including... The UFC, I mean, the big piece of news, I think, is the UFC mentioning that uh, some big roster cuts are coming. That's uh, not terribly surprising. It's been kind of, elements of this have been somewhat inevitable for a while, but, uh, you know, no time like the holiday season at the end of the year to just cut 60 guys from your roster, I suppose, right? I've defended the UFC when I believe it to be appropriate to do so. Uh, cutting people at the end of the year like that is just a dick move. And I don't have another way to say that. So, of course, a few other pieces of news. So we'll get to all of that this particular episode. Uh, hope, you're having, hope you're all doing well out there. Please, however you interact with the product, uh, interact with it. Like, subscribe, rating, share, all of that. All of that is very, very helpful. Uh, yeah, if you if you enjoy the show and you know anyone who might or you just feel like flooding a bits of your social media platform with something that you enjoy like this, I don't know, I, please, go ahead. I deeply appreciate all the support that I get in that respect. Uh, thank you all very much in advance. Alright, so let's jump into the event last night. UFC on ESPN 19. This event... Um, I think I mentioned it last week. I think I had enough time to talk about uh, Kevin Holland falling out, Marvin Vittori stepping in to fight Jack Hermanson in your main event. Um, actually, double check that. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did last week. Um, that was, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a bit, but uh, that was uh, number five of six for the five final main events for 2020 for the UFC that got messed with. Earlier this week, news came down about the final event for 2020 losing its main event. Uh, we'll be talking about that more in the news section. But yeah, every one of the last six events to close out 2020 for the UFC had its main event changed. In some cases, more than once. Uh, so, there was that. Uh, before this card started, we lost three fights. Uh, some of the... I think that big news about it came... I don't know, like... 90 minutes? 80, 90 minutes before the event was supposed to start? Uh, came down that we lost... One of the fights I was really looking forward to, actually. Movsar of Loev and Nate Landwer. Uh, Loev had a positive... COVID-19 test. Uh, we lost Montana De La Rosa and Tyler Santos. Uh, one of De La Rosa's cornermen tested positive for COVID. And we lost Jimmy Flick and Cody Durden. Apparently this was a medical issue with Durden's, one of Durden's eyes. Uh, they were hoping that by the time fight night rolled around it would have cleared up enough to be passed. They simply moved that fight uh they moved that fight just down a, a couple of events. I forget exactly where. But that pairing is still intact. Uh, 
So we this event went down with five, excuse me, eight fights on the card total. Uh, somebody came out. Uh, one of the people involved in this event, I forget it was. Uh, sorry, no, later. Um, Mike Perry, one of Mike Perry's uh, cornermen from his last fight, actually detailed the incredibly lax. Uh, bubble situation that the UFC has going on for their uh, for their events at the Apex. Uh, you can find that at various other... I'm not going to go into detail about it here. You can find that on uh, you know, any other major MMA reporting site. It's pretty... Uh, again, the, uh, you know, the NBA, by way of example, has a fairly strict procedure in place to try and keep its athletes and personnel safe. Uh... Uh, and avoid COVID tests. You know, the NFL has been hit pretty hard recently. I think, like, the, uh, a significant percentage of the Ravens players tested positive not too long ago. Uh, and, yes, there's there's some pretty serious questions that can be asked about the, the UFC's bubble procedures and whatnot. So, yeah, we lost three fights. One of them I was looking forward to. But in your main event, getting back to the fight at hand, Marvin Vittori defeated Jack Hermanson via unanimous decision. 249-46 is 149-45. I was 49-46. Don't have an issue with the 49-45. First round, Vittori about the halfway mark floors Hermanson with a left. Apparently broke his orbital. Uh, that, that's been revealed recently. It didn't swell up the way you might think a lot of orbit. You know, sometimes you see a broken orbital and the the guy just ballooned shut almost immediately. Uh, whatever was broken here did not cause that kind of immediate swelling. Uh, he got on top. Uh, there's a 10-8 argument in the first. Uh, I didn't quite get there, but I don't object to anyone that did. I had Vittori in the second, but Hermanson seemed to be coming on a little... He, towards the end of the second round, Hermanson seemed to be finding himself a little bit more. Third round I gave to Hermanson. I think that's the one that unanimously went his way. Uh, just outworked Vittori. Vittori rallied, wins rounds four and five. This was a very, very high-paced fight. I believe these two combined for the highest number of significant strikes landed in a middleweight fight ever. So they did a lot of work. They had some fun scrambles on the ground, especially in the first round. Uh... Massive kudos to Vittori on, you know, a week's notice to go from fighting Jacare to fighting Hermanson. Uh, to go from fighting three rounds to five over... Uh, that's kind of the big change. You know, the, the last week of preparation is mostly about, uh, depending on who you are, like some weight cutting and then maybe some fine-tuning, but the vast majority of the work in as far as preparation is done. And big win for, I mean, easily the biggest win of Vittori's career. Uh, he's he's a handful at middleweight. You know, he, prior to, uh, I think apart from Kelvin Gastelum, he's the guy that gave Israel Adesanya the most trouble. And I think even, you could argue more in that the Gastelum fight for Adesanya was, a, he had a couple of moments of real adversity he had to overcome. But significant chunks of that fight are very clearly not only going out, I mean, not just going out of Sonya's way, but clearly. I mean, he came back from getting hurt pretty badly with a head kick in the fourth round and then hung a 10-8 round on Gastelum in the fifth. 
Vittori was more... I think the Vittori fight was more evenly... I say evenly difficult, because that's a weird way to say it. It didn't have the peaks and valleys uh, that the Gastelum fight did. The Gastelum fight was, you know, up or down, fairly dramatically, if you were Israel Adesanya. The Vittori fight, and I'm not saying that a rematch would go the same way by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a lot more just kind of consistently hard for him, rather than, here's a moment, got to overcome it, make a few adjustments, and come back from getting hurt. And to be clear, what Adesanya did in the Gastelum fight is still remarkable, but it's a diff—it's just—it's different. Vittori giving him problems does not appear to be an accident. Um, he called out Paulo Costa after the fight. Great. Uh, I would absolutely be down for that fight. Let those two have it out. Would be a great fight. For Hermanson, that's this is rough, man. Um, I would have favored him to beat Darren Till, who was his original opponent. I favored him pretty heavily against Kevin Holland, who was his first replacement. But, uh, I mean, Hermanson has a lot of ability, but he's just lost some pretty key fights. I mean, he debuts in the UFC on a good winning streak, loses his second fight, rebounds, wins a couple by first-round stoppage, then runs into Tiago Santos, who body kicks him into the third round. At row. It was a first round finish, I believe. He rebounds from that. You know, all credit to him. Goes on a four-fight winning streak. Most of those finishes, and his last one uh, before his next loss, he beat Jacare by unanimous decision. Then he just runs into Jared Cannonier. He rebounds, beats Gastelum, and then drops to Marvin Vittori. It's... I don't think... I hate to say it this way, but this might be kind of his ceiling. Uh, he can go on good runs. He can beat very, very elite opposition. But that the guy's kind of at that really top spot, or people maybe he just doesn't deal with uh, you know changes very well. I don't know. Uh, Vittori being a southpaw seemed to throw him off for a big chunk of the fight before he kind of adjusted to it. And Hermanson also kind of needs to be able to threaten you with a takedown. Uh, if that's not... It's not to say that he never tried to get Vittori down. He did. But if you can't get that into your opponent's head to, significantly enough to alter what they're doing, it might as well not be there. You know, If their game plan is, okay, I know how to stop the takedown, then in practice they can stop your takedown, uh, then they're still kind of zoned in. They're still in the groove. You have to disrupt that. And if you can't threaten that, well, you, you're probably going to be in for a rough night. And that's kind of what happened with Hermanson here. Uh, I don't know what you do next with Hermanson. Uh, there's plenty of fights at middleweight for him. You, you could try to rebook him until, and I don't think that's a bad idea. But it was a great fight. It was your fight of the night. Very deservedly so. Uh... Real, solid, solid main event. Co-main event, Jamal Hill defeated Ovin St. Prue via TKO, 337 of the second. St. Prue missed weight for this fight. He came in at 207 and a half. Um, two really long... St. Prue struggles a lot with guys who can kind of match his ranginess. Uh, he's, he's also not diligent enough about his footwork over the long haul. And the more he gets hit, the more he struggles. 
Hill hit him to the body a lot in the first round, kept backing him up, finally got him along the fence in the second and was able to unload there. Uh, Jamal, you know, I've I've been, I, I wouldn't say dismissive of Ovin St. Preux, but, you know, I am also a realist about his position in the division, especially over the last couple of years. Uh, I've said it before, you can only be young and promising for so long before you're neither young nor promising. And St. Preux, uh, you know, even at light heavyweight, was pretty clearly never going to be that guy near the top of the division consistently. But he has proven to be a difficult roadblock for a fair number of guys. I mean, if you look at some of the guys he's beaten, uh, you know, Alonzo Manifield, okay, that was kind of a, I wouldn't say a gimme, but Manifield had not demonstrated himself to be at that level. But, you know, Corey Anderson went on to, you know, he rebounded from the loss, but he got head kicked into oblivion. Uh, the guy that was just like, uh, somebody that people were kind of high on. Um, hey, you know what, I might take that back a little bit. Jeez, I'm looking at his UFC record. So, Anderson kind of being one. Okay, Marcos Ogerio de Lima. Not great, but, you know, thought that maybe he could make a run. Uh, I wouldn't say Fei Zhao in 2016 qualified, but... You know, Tyson Pedro, who probably should have beaten him if he hadn't fought like an idiot. Uh, but you've got to go in there and do that, you know? So, he, he'd been a decent enough roadblock, and if you looked at the guys he's lost to recently... Uh, you, know, you had Ilir Latifi. Okay, that was a little bit dubious. Dominic Reyes fought for the belt twice. Nikita Krylov, who might finally be putting his career together. Uh, ben Rothwell up at heavyweight. You know, it, uh, if we go further back, Volkan Uzdemir, who went on to fight for the belt. Jimmy Manoa, who never quite materialized at that level, and then you know, his title fight with John. I mean, it, it's just not that easy to actually beat the guy. And so, you know, kudos to Hill for doing so. Uh, I mean, it's hard to get terribly excited about Jamal Hill. He doesn't even have 10 professional fights. But he scored a big win here, so we'll see what he does going forward. Uh, Gabriel Benitez defeated Justin James via TKO, knee to the body, and then some perfunctory follow-up. Uh, this was a brutal finish from Benitez. Um, Benitez fighting Southpaw. Janes dips down. Is Janes Southpaw? No, Benitez was Southpaw. Janes kind of leans forward, trying to get his head off the center line as he's entering the pocket to throw a punch and leans right into this brutal knee to the liver. Janes dropped like he'd been stabbed. Um, if you want a similar example, uh, Francisco Trinaldo and Evan Dunham. I think in that case, Dunham might have been Southpaw to Orthodox Trinaldo. But the result was the same. Guy in the open stance kind of ducks in as he's leaning in, and the other guy times a knee into the body just perfectly, and it just it cripples you. You'd be the toughest guy in the world. You get hit with your weight coming down and into your opponent's knee strike coming up and in at the right timing, and you're done. A much-needed win for Benitez, who got some ability but had been really kind of up and down.
Uh, Roman Delitze defeated John Allen via split decision. 30-27 for Delitze, 29-28 for Delitze, and 29-28 for Allen. Everyone clowned on this decision, rightfully so. This should not have been split. Um, I mean, you had Paul Felder and Dominic Cruz on commentary, and uh, even Felder was like, yeah, no. You know, that's like that judge saying I beat uh, RDA. Didn't happen, and at which point, uh, I think it was John Anik who said, yeah, same judge. Uh, it was, in fact, Chris Lee again. Uh, somebody pointed out the stat. I, I want to... Uh, but Chris Lee has been the dissenting opinion in, like, 16 of the 20 split decisions over the last uh, few months in MMA. Uh, he's just, at this point, he's not competent. He should not be judging MMA fights. I don't subscribe to the narrative at this point that, you know, the these are boxing judges trying to judge an MMA fight. I, I don't think that's true. There were, you know, 10 years ago, it was still somewhat true. It's not as true now. It just isn't. Some people just aren't good at it. Uh, Delitze, you know, not a bad-looking light heavyweight. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, Jordan Levitt knocked out Matt Wyman with a slam 22 seconds into the first round. Wyman jumped up for guard. Uh, Levitt had a really tight body lock, walked him over towards the fence framed on his neck and jaw, and then slammed him down onto the ground. The old Gerald Harris special. Uh, nothing more to that than... Nothing more than that. Uh, again, I'm not going to get too excited over somebody... I mean, it was a beautiful knockout. Let me be, I don't want to say... I want to be sure I phrase this properly. I'm not going to throw a tremendous amount of hype onto someone who beats Matt Wyman in 2020. I'm not sure how much of an indicator that is of your you know, success potential. Uh, as for the prelims, Luis Smolka defeated Jose Alberto Quinones via TKO, 2.15 of the second. Really fun fight here between these two. High pace, lots of scrambles. Eventually, Smolka just hits a, kind of a head and arm throw, mounts, and then never lets Quinones, uh, you know, improve his position substantially. So, a good little fight there. Would have been fight of the night, I think, that one, if not for the main event. Ili, excuse me, Ilya Teporia defeated Damon Jackson via knockout 238 of the first. Beautiful body work from Teporia. He was hammering Jackson with rib roasters. Uh, eventually, those brought his hands down. He found a right over the shoulder along the fence line, and Jackson was done. Uh, really solid stuff from Teporia here. And kicking everything off, Jake Collier defeated John Volante via unanimous decision. This fight sucked. I would liken it to walruses, but I don't wish to insult walruses. Uh, even they don't deserve to be associated with this. Terrible fight. Both these guys are at heavyweight because they got fat. Uh, and I'm not trying to body shame them if we're like, ah, look at the fat guy. I mean, but look at their physical transformation. I mean, in the case of Collier in particular, dude used to was a shredded middleweight. Bumped up to 205 because the cut was a bit too much. And now look at him. Uh, and Volante just doesn't care anymore. Uh, cut Volante, for the love of all that's holy. Please, cut John Volante. He should not be in the UFC. So, such as it was, that was UFC on ESPN 19. A uh, couple of good finishes. Really solid main event. Uh, the rest of it, meh.
look, the UFC, when they lost three fights, uh, you know, an hour and a half before the event was to start, um, there were some people like, well, we, they should just call the fight, uh, the event. And I, guys, I can't say this enough. We don't know the specific number that the UFC has to hit to meet their minimum for events they have to produce for ESPN. But most of the reporting done on the issue was somewhere around 40 to 42. If that number that the UFC must meet is 42 events, they literally cannot cancel an event before the end of the year. They will hit 42 exactly if everything else goes off. What that means is it doesn't really matter what happens to these cards. The UFC, if they have to crawl on their hands and knees across that finish line, is going to do so, even if it means shoveling crap at the audience. And this, not a good card on paper. I, that's not a controversial statement. Uh, we got some good finishes out of it, but you can find good finish. I, I don't want to say that. That's overly dismissive. Um, look, it, it, with cards like this, if you're watching, you hope you get a good night of fights. Uh, if you're not, hopefully you're at least reading my report so you can kind of know what happened. But yeah, that was that was the event, such as it was. Um, all right, let's move on. UFC 256 coming your way the end of the uh, next week. Main event was originally going to be a bantamweight title fight between Pete, uh, champion Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling. That got bumped. Jan has some family issues. Hopefully that all gets resolved and we get that fight rebooked because it's a great fight. Instead, flyweight champion Davison Figueredo will be making the fastest turnaround in UFC title history. This will be just 21 days between fights. Uh, again, uh, I think the closest one to that was, I think there was might have been a Matt Hughes sequence of fights from back in the day that was like 60 or high 50s days apart. But this is a uh, fairly uh, absurdly fast turnaround, especially for a champion. Uh, he's putting the title on the line against number one contender Brandon Moreno. Uh, this is not a fight that's going to draw a lot of attention. It is a really, really good fight. Uh, I, I have a hard time overselling that in that respect. I'm not, I'm not going to call this a fight of the year on paper. Might be in practice, who knows. But, I mean, Davison Figueredo, if he wins this, he is your 2020 fighter of the year by a wide margin. If he defends this title successfully, think about this. He will have finished in 2020. He will have finished Joseph Benavidez twice. One, uh, The second of those to win the title... Uh, defended his title twice, assuming he wins. And three of those, at a bare minimum, are finishes. There's not really anybody else that has that record of achievement at the championship level in the UFC, if not all of MMA right now. So he... Uh, now, Brandon Moreno is no chump. Uh, Moreno's only... He's had a couple of losses in the UFC... Uh, Sergio Pettis and Alexandre Pantoja. Then he fought to a draw with Askar Askarov. And you know, uh, that fight, that fight, had, that, wit, that, uh, that draw 
that has aged very well, given that Askarov is streaking right now, and uh, Askarov's going to fight Joseph Benavides, I think. I saw that fight got signed. Uh, Askarov could be fighting for the title himself very soon. So that, that, that fight has aged very well for Brandon Moreno in that respect. Um, I still don't have much of a reason to pick against Figueredo. The man has a lot of power. He's tricky about setting up his shots. He's talented on the ground. He's got a really good front headlock sequence, and that's not just because he tapped out the last guy with the guillotine. He tapped out Tim Elliott with one. He's used that, again, just the front headlock sequence in other fights. Uh, he's a handful. He's just a very, very difficult fighter to beat, especially at flyweight. Uh, Moreno's going to be game for the whole fight, I'm fairly sure, but I just don't really have a... I won't be surprised if Moreno wins. Moreno has a very good submission game himself. He's got power. He's a savage. You know, they're both savages as far as that goes, if you want to apply that that uh, adjective. I, I just don't have a compelling reason to pick against Figueredo. Um, to pick against him. Not to say that Moreno can't win. I do tend to think that the longer this goes, the long, the more it might favor Moreno. Figueredo's had some gas tank issues in the past, and 125 is not an easy cut for him. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, but I, I, I just don't have a reason to pick against him in any kind of concrete fashion, other than you know, Moreno is very good and could certainly win. But it's it's a really good fight on paper. It's uh, you know it's flyweights, man. It's very good flyweights. They're gonna fight. They're gonna have a pretty good motor. Both men have power. Both men can wrestle. Both men can uh, can submit you. It's gonna be a really good fight. Uh, co-main event. Uh, Tony Ferguson will fight Charles Oliveira. I have gone back and forth on this one, believe it or not, a little bit. Now, usual disclaimer about the top end of lightweight. The margin for error in both of these gentlemen is so slim. It's just so slim. Uh, anyone in that, anyone at the top of that division can beat anyone else. and would not surprise anyone who pays attention. I didn't pick against Tony Ferguson when he fought Justin Gagey. Uh, but I said I wouldn't be surprised if Gagey won. I wasn't. I was a little bit surprised at the way it played out, not that Gagey won. That snapped a historic winning streak in the lightweight division for Tony Ferguson, but he's still trying, he could still very easily get back into the title picture. On the other hand, we have Oliveira, who is younger, on a long winning streak of his own at this point. All of them finishes. Good grief. I mean, he's on a... seven-fight winning streak, and he's finished all of them. Now, some of those are less impressive than others, but submitted Clay Guida, submitted Christos Yago, submitted Jim Miller, submitted Dan David Tamer, not easy, TKO'd Nick Lentz, knocked out Jared Gordon, and then submitted Kevin Lee. That's a pretty solid, you know, there's no easy fights at lightweight. You might expect a guy of Oliveira's caliber to, in 2018, be handling guys like Clay Guida and Jim Miller. Okay, that that's it's that's kind of fair. 
that's still winning streaks at lightweight are hard to come by for a reason. And especially those last two fights for Oliveira, those are not gimmies. Jared Gordon might not be a world beater, but he is no easy out. And Kevin Lee, you know, one of the better guys in that division. I mean, he fought, you know, for the title at one point, with well, the interim title. Uh, it's a, it is a good run he has put together. I'm still leaning towards Tony Ferguson, and there's a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, this is only a three-round fight. I think if it were a five-round, I'd still lean towards F Tony, probably even more so, but it is just a three-round fight. Oliveira has good striking and good power, but he doesn't move his head a whole lot. Oliveira's grappling game is kind of where his bread and butter is. But, there's a kind of important caveat here. A lot of what he does in terms of his uh, wrestling, or anti-wrestling, is, go, is uh, built around his own front headlock sequence. Both of these gentlemen use that a lot. Uh, Tony's not much of a double-leg guy. I mean, Tony, there was some absurd stat in the Gagey fight that came out afterward. Like, Tony hadn't... Uh, attempted a takedown since he fought Glacian Tebow. Now, some of that is how you categorize takedowns, I suppose, but Tony's just not a takedown guy. He's not going to give you the opportunity to grab his neck in transition like that. And when a lot of, not all of Oliveira's game, but when a lot of it is kind of predicated on being able, on that type of interaction, and you lose that, now, Oliveira's a very talented jiu-jitsu practitioner. He's got a very dangerous guard anyway, but it is something to be noted that that interaction won't necessarily be there in his favor. Uh, he might be able to take Tony down. We'll have to see. Uh, Oliveira's takedowns tend to come from the body lock. So which of these two gentlemen either initiates the clinch first or finds success there is going to be a big part of this fight. The other thing about Charles Oliveira that I've kind of noticed... This might sound really weird considering his profession and his overall winning record and whatnot. But he doesn't deal with damage all that well. Uh, if you can put damage on him, he struggles. If we look at all of his wins, and... Uh, looking back through them now, most of these were not back-and-forth fights. You know, he had to overcome a little bit in the Will Brooks fight, a little bit. But that was all grappling related. Um, you know, he slowed down against Pettis because Pettis put damage on him. Ditto Ricardo Lamas. And when that happens, he starts reaching for double legs. I mean, he got guillotined by both Lamas and Pettis. In the Paul Felder fight, you know, he did good in the first round. But by the time that second round came around, you know, Felder was putting damage on him, and he just doesn't deal well with being damaged. And if there's one guy in this entire division, too, who are guaranteed to damage you, Tony, one, Tony Ferguson is one of them, the other being Gagey. I mean, even Gagey, you know, uh, he, did, he damaged Khabib with the leg kicks, uh, I suppose. But you... You're going to be in a fight with Tony Ferguson, and uh, 
we haven't seen Charles Oliveira have to overcome physical damage like that. That's a big question mark. So I'm still leaning, Tony. I, again, if Oliveira wins, I will not be surprised. Uh, Tony's coming back, you know, 10 months or so, nine months. Nine? Hang on, I got to double check that. Um, May. So June, July, August, September, October, November. Okay, seven months. Jeez. He's coming back seven months after that fight with Justin Gagey. That fight with Gagey, I'm not going to say it's going to substantively alter the, the course of Tony Ferguson's career. We need evidence. But that kind of beating is the kind of beating that has historically altered careers. If he's coming back too fast... Uh, if, or if the, even if he's coming, even if this is his, even if he has recovered to the fullest extent he possibly could, and that fight is just going to have damaged him in real ways, uh, would not surprise me to see Charles Oliveira win. I'm just gonna say it again. It might, it would surprise me to see him like knock Tony Ferguson out cold, but especially over just three rounds. That would be surprising if he sleeps Tony with a with a strike. That would be surprising. But if he wins, if he wins the decision, if he catches, you know, if he, if Tony gets a little bit too sloppy and wild in some scramble exchange and he gets caught, I'm not going to be surprised. Uh, I favor Ferguson. I comfortably favor Ferguson to the extent that you want to you know, uh, talk about comfort at the moment, but. It's the top end of lightweight, man. The, the difference between number one, if we take Khabib out of the equation, the difference between the next, you know, next guy down, whoever you happen to think that is, Poirier, uh, Ferguson, Gagey, whatever, the difference between that guy and, you know, number 15 is not that big. These guys are all very, very close to each other in terms of ability. Uh, we have another lightweight fight. Hanato Moicano will fight Rafael Fiziev. I am really looking forward to this one. Uh, Moicano uh, moved back, moved up to lightweight, defeated Demir Hadzevic. He needed that after a two-fight losing streak at featherweight. He was stopped by both Jose Aldo and Chan Sung Jung. Uh, that Jung fight was pretty net. I mean, he got at least into the second round with Aldo. Jung stopped him in less than a minute. Uh, whereas Fiziev... I think he's undefeated. No, he is 8-1. Uh, oh, yeah, he lost to Mustafaev. But since then, has put on some very technical kickboxing displays against both Alex White and Mark Jacquezi. This would be a good one. I I might actually lean Fiziev. Moicano's more proven, but he's a little bit smaller for the division. And... He struggles a little bit against guys who can, in fact, strike with him. He needs to be the much better striker. Or he needs to be to be able to consistently get the fight to the ground, which he might do. If he gets Fiziev down, he's the better grappler by a significant margin. I'm still going to lean Fiziev, but that's a great fight. Middleweight fight between Kevin Holland and Ronaldo uh, Jacare Souza. When this was Souza against Vittori, I was going to favor Vittori. Jacare is in a rough spot. He's two and four in his last six. Now, if you look at those losses, 
Finished by Robert Whitaker, went on to become champion. Beat Derek Brunson. Lost a split decision to Kelvin Gastelum. Close fight. Um, I tend to... I don't remember how I scored it. But Gastelum went on, you know, to fight for the title. Gastelum is such an odd guy to try and get your head around. Uh, knocks out Chris Weidman. Loses a decision to Jack Hermanson. Then loses a split decision to Jan Blachowicz in a terrible fight. I mean... Jacare is what? 40? He's 40, assuming that's even accurate. Uh, the years are going to catch up with him at some point. Now, was Kevin Holland the guy to do that? That's a little bit less clear. I mean, Holland's only losses in the UFC are to Tiago Santos and Brendan Allen. Now, Allen may have stumbled recently, but still has a lot of upside. That said, he doesn't really have a great win. Uh, who would his best win be? Because he had a split decision with Mershart that I kind of thought he lost. Knocked out Anthony Hernandez. Knocked out An uh, Joaquin Buckley. Had a split decision with Darren Stewart that I definitely thought he lost. I'm going to go with Jacare here, but I am not confident in that. And then we have a heavyweight fight between Junior Dos Santos and Cyril Gan. Um, look, my I've talked in the past about my affection for JDS, but he's on a three-fight losing streak. He's been stopped in all three of those fights. All three of those fights were stopped before the end of the second round. I think he's just done. And Gon is a big, agile, dangerous heavyweight. I mean, somewhat flip side. Gon is only 6-0, and and if he's... If this is a bit too much too soon, JDS can win. But I, I just don't think that Dos Santos is... I don't think he's much longer for the sport, or for the UFC. Uh, I might be very wrong about that, but years and miles, man. He's got both of them, and they're both adding up. Anyway, that's your main card. Not going to be all that casual friendly in terms of drawing, but... I mean, even the heavyweight fight on that card, on that main card, is pretty good. So you'd be hard pressed to find worse bet, more bang for your buck. As for the prelims, Cub Swanson will fight Daniel Pineda. Um, my inclination at the moment is to lean Swanson, but Pineda is no joke. I mean, he knocked out Herbert Burns uh, in his return to the UFC. And Swanson recently uh, beat Cron Gracie, but that ended a four-fight losing streak. I'm going to lean Swanson, but that could go either way. Uh, Mackenzie Duren and Virna Jandiroba will turn in one of the better grappling fights you might see. Uh, they're both decorated. And when I say decorated, I don't just mean in the uh, MMA sense. They're both very, very decorated jiu-jitsu practitioners. I do tend to favor Dern a little bit in, like, pure jiu-jitsu, but it's MMA, not pure jiu-jitsu, so we'll have to see. I, I, I'm okay picking Dern there. A strawweight fight between Tisha Torres and Angela Hill. Uh, I mean, Tisha Torres just ended a four-fight losing streak. She beat Brianna Van Buren to do it, too. Uh, that's... Whereas Hill, been very up and down, coming off of two split decision losses. 
In fairness, I think she, I did think she lost both of them, but they were, uh, uh, they were competitive. Uh, the split in the Gedalia fight didn't really surprise me. The split in the Watterson one was a little bit more surprising. I mean, Angela Hill has the most losses in UFC women's strawweight history. She has nine losses in the division. Uh, she also has the most fights in the division at 16. Keeps a very busy schedule. I I feel okay picking Hill here, but only okay. Uh, rest of the prelims. Gavin Tucker and Billy Quarantillo. That's a pretty good fight, actually. Uh, you know, Tucker had a good couple of showings his last two fights, and Quarantillo seems to be really kind of streaking at the moment. Three wins in the UFC. Knocked out Kyle Nelson last time out. I'm actually going to pick Quarantillo here, but it's a good fight. Another heavyweight fight, Sergey Spivak and Jared uh, Vandera? Vandera? Don't know. Um, Low-level heavyweights. Who cares? Uh, Carl Robertson will fight Dolce Lungiambula. That could be a bit of a brawl. Uh, I'll, I'll pick Robertson. He's the much more technical party of the two. And, let's see, Lee Jing Leong will fight Dwight Grant. Dwight Grant. I've seen him fight in the UFC. Oh, he's the body snatcher. Uh, got knocked out by Daniel Rodriguez. And, I mean, Lee just had a uh, loss to Neil Magny. But had had a good winning streak before that, including a stoppage win over Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos. Probably go with Lee, but, uh, again... Lee's a little bit up and down. And kicking everything off, Chase Hooper will fight Pete Barrett. Peter Barrett. Probably lean towards Hooper. The UFC seems to like him, but man, he looked bad in his last fight. He looked really bad. So that's UFC 256. I will have coverage of that in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania when that particular event rolls around on Saturday. Please do stop by, say hello. I always appreciate your support to whatever extent you're able to give it. Means a lot. Alrighty. Um, move on to some news here. Uh, the UFC announced... Dana White was asked because this last week it came out that the UFC had parted ways with Yoel Romero. A little bit surprising. Dana White was asked about it at the post-fight press conference and said... This is just part of some big roster purges coming up. You're going to cut around 60 fighters. Um, anyone in the middle to lower middle class of the UFC needs to be carefully, especially people who have been around for a while. Um, the UFC, first of all, their roster is a bit bloated at the moment. I don't think there's any way around that. They're bringing new people in. They're bringing about... I don't know what the average is for people who the number of people who get a contract on the contender series. I imagine if I had to guess, it's something like two and a half contracts per episode. Now, it doesn't run year-round, but for that series of weeks that it does, you get a pretty significant roster influx. Um, somebody did the math on this, and Yoel Romero, over his last five fights, made a little over, I think, like $1.5 million. Um, by contrast... Now, now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that's what Romero netted. That's just adding up what the UFC disclosed to have paid him. Uh, and 
he almost certainly did not make that much money because you get taxed and have to pay out on each individual fight rather than the net, excuse me, rather than the aggregate. So, uh, he did, there's no way he made that much money, but that's that is what the UFC paid out to him. I think by contrast, uh, Jimmy Crute over his last five fights made 250 some odd thousand. With what they pay Yoel Romero, they could finance. With what they pay Yoel Romero per fight, they could probably finance about three to five episodes of Fighters on the Contender series. Uh, what they would pay, what they will pay those people in the UFC. So anyone who's on a bit of a losing streak, anyone who costs a lot of money, is probably on the chopping block here, especially if you don't have name value. Look, no one of no one with real name value is going to get cut. There might be some ranked guys who get cut. That might be a little bit surprising. But if there's even the slightest chance the UFC can spin this in their favor, they will. I mean, look, if Jacare loses to... Uh, uh, I just talked about the friggin' fight. Whoever he's fighting. Kevin Holland. If Jacare loses that fight, kind of expect him to get cut. He's 40. Uh, and he'll have a not great record over his last handful of fights. And he's not cheap. Somehow John Volante will still escape this purge, but ugh. but that's that's kind of what's on the what's coming up here. So I don't imagine look, no one say this. No one who the UFC could main event a pay-per-view with and feel good about it is going to get cut. Uh, no one who is very cheap and still winning will be cut. But that that middle class, especially kind of that lower middle class, especially the lower middle class of guys who have been around, uh, probably not probably not long for the UFC. You know, a lot of the le- a lot of the veterans. You know, guys like Jim Miller probably not going to be there much longer. Uh, Anyone, and if we're talking ranked, uh, ranked fight. I mean, they cut UCA Formiga. They're gonna cut ranked fighters if they don't see value in them. So, uh, again, I don't expect a tremendous amount of ranked fighters to go, but you're probably gonna see a few, and you're going to see a lot of that. You know, guys who have been around and aren't cheap, kind of middle to somewhere in the middle class area are going to get cut. I mean, they cut a bunch of guys the, over the last week. No one you'd be surprised by them cutting. I mean, Justin Ledet got cut. Uh, you know, some guys like that, guys who are mostly on the prelims and were still kind of like losing records. Uh, those those guys are, a lot of those people are going to be up uh, on the chopping block. Um, we're just going to lose some guys. The UFC is then going to bring in a bunch of lower-level talent, courtesy of the Contender Series, and you know, just keep try to keep the machine ticking over. Um, the cuts are inevitable. The roster is uh, the roster is like mathematically bloated at this point. They're back up around 600 fighters, I think. They don't need that many. They just don't. And expect some people who are locked out via COVID travel restrictions to potentially be on the chopping block, too. Uh, just going to have to see. But uh, for a certain group of fighters, uh, 
going to be some anxious nights. It's going to be some anxious nights. Okay, uh, a few quick things here. Um, odd fight, but we have the next fight for former two-time bantamweight champion Dominic Cruz. He will fight Casey Kenny at some point uh, in the early tw in early 21. Um, odd choice for Cruz, um, but uh, if he wants to just be in the fight pool again, uh, coming off of that loss to Cejudo, you could do worse. I mean, Kenny is kind of a rising guy, so we'll see. We'll see if Cruz still has what it takes to compete at that level. Uh, let's see. Oh, we got some clarification on Yair Rodriguez. He was suspended by USADA uh, six months for missing, th like failing to fill out his whereabouts. He missed three random drug tests in a 12-month period. Um, I've been hypercritical of y USADA in some respects. I can say that I can be hypercritical and still say this is a little suspicious. I would say to anyone else drug t you know, in this pool, if you're trying to hide you know, your usage, you now know that as long as you're not you know, three tests in a 12-month period, and this, this suspension is retroactive to September, so he'll be ready to fight again in March. Uh, you know, that, this suspension is significantly lower than getting popped for something, so I don't know. Uh, I... USADA is weird, and look, y you miss this many tests, not only is, is it suspicious, I don't think a six-month suspension for this is necessarily egregious, especially since they've post, you know, they it's retroactive to, I don't know, the last, the missing of the third test, I guess, I, I forget exactly. Uh, it's not outside the bounds of reason. Um. But, really, who cares? Uh, Alright, last thing we're going to talk about. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, UFC, the last event, UFC on... Where's the last event for 2020? I forget where it is. Uh, this is the December 19th card. You see on ESPN Plus 41. Uh, we lost the main event. It was kind of reported last week that Kamzat Shemaev had come down with COVID. His team denied it. Wound up being a moot point because uh, Leon Edwards got COVID. And he got a pretty bad case of it. He was, I think it was Brett Okamoto who tweeted the specifics of this. Let me pull up that tweet. Um, yeah, pretty severe. He lost 12 pounds in four days. Um which is a lot. That is a lot of weight to lose very quickly. Um, hopefully he is able to recover, but we lost that fight. On the plus side, I think I said this last week, if anything happened to that event, there were plenty of fights that you could potentially bump up. And this, in you know, the case in point in this case, Stephen Thompson and Jeff Neal is your new main event. Uh, which is a perfectly, perfectly fine main event. Really good fight. I'm still a little bit annoyed that on that card, Greg Hardy is your co-main event. How Greg Hardy, of all people,
gets a higher place on the card than both Marlon Moraes and Jose Aldo is beyond me. That is absolutely beyond my ability to fully comprehend. Because I would not have Greg Hardy in the UFC at all. I, and I just don't think he's good enough. But that's where we are at the moment. So that's your new main event for that card. Um, that card... I think they also made recently Anthony Pettis and Alex Morono for that card at welterweight. Anthony Pettis, another guy who's probably going to be gone, especially if he loses this fight. Um, I mean, look, he might be a former champion, but... Uh, he beat Donald Cerrone, but that ended a two-fight losing streak. He's just been very up and down. He's injury-prone. He's 33, but has been fighting since 2007. Uh... Point being, if he loses this fight, especially if he loses badly, uh, don't be too shocked if he if he gets cut. So anyway, we'll get we'll of course you know get to that event when it comes around on the 19th. So yeah, the UFC crawling across that finish line, but so help them, they will crawl across it. Uh, it would take a significant government intervention at this point to stop them running events. Uh, they're just too committed to what they're doing. And even then, they might just head back to Abu Dhabi. I don't know about the logistics of that, but they would certainly try. Uh, that That's just what they're going to do. So, anyway. New main event, Thompson and Neil. Great fight anyway. Uh, sucks that we lost Edwards and Shemaev, which was a... Leon Edwards, I'm going to... I'm going to spoil... One of my year-end awards for 2020. Leon Edwards has had the worst luck of anyone in 2020, I think, in the fight game. He lost out on his biggest fight. He had other fights taken away from him. He had travel restrictions. And now he got the Rona to lose out on what would be his only appearance. And a fight that gave him a lot of upside. If he beats... No, look. Chemayev's level of opposition thus far has not been stellar. Leon Edwards has faced a lot better opposition, but Chemayev is the one with the hype and with the momentum. If Edwards beat him, you know, it could have done a lot to salvage his 2020. Instead, he got a very serious illness and lost <laughs> a lot of weight very quickly, so... Uh... Yeah, that, that guy's getting the Ian McCall Memorial Worst Luck in MMA Award for 2020, unless something drastic happens before the end of the year. Uh, I think that is going to be everything. Let me double-check Twitter and whatnot one more time before we get out of here. Uh, well, okay. Um, this just broke. Uh, Angela Hill and Tisha Torres is off as Angela Hill tested positive for COVID. Yeah, um, okay, I know this broke earlier today. I'm not going to talk a lot about it here because I I don't mind talking boxing. I just really also don't care about freak show fights. Uh, I'm just going to say it once, but apparently Floyd Mayweather will have some kind of boxing exhibition with uh, Logan Paul. I will not be participating in that foolishness. Uh, just 
Just not at all. Not at all. Uh, yeah, anyway, that that's the only, I think, news-related issue would be, you know, the hill and uh, that fight falling out. So, yeah, I will uh, go ahead and get into plugs here then, I guess. Let's see. Um, what do I have? Apart from my normal coverage, so Fridays I have SmackDown in the Wrestling Zone. Saturdays, whatever the UFC is turning out in the MMA Zone. Uh, you can find my recaps of MLW Fusion. Uh, that's their YouTube show on Wednesdays or Thursdays, depending on how much crazy my life is. That one doesn't have to be done live, so... Sometimes it gets postponed a little bit, but I try to have it up in a timely manner. Uh, you can find both of... You can find me doing those things. Um, as far as the rest of my schedule, I don't think I have too many podcasts at the moment. Um... Yeah, not until after Christmas, uh, at which point things are really going to pick up. Because we're going to have uh, reviews for both Soul and Wonder Woman coming out later. Uh, and then, you know, the news about HBO deciding to drop everything on streaming as well as simultaneously into whatever theaters are still open. But yeah, you can find you can find my other podcasting efforts uh, in the Radlich and Broadcasting Network subgroup of the W2M Network, wherever you find podcasts. So, thank you all very much. That's all I've got for this week. Until next time, stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.